BetMGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Maryland. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code OLDLINE150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Maryland today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Maryland only. New customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days from issuance. Please play responsibly. For help, visit mdgamblinghelp.org or call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM National Harbor. Promotional not available in Washington, D.C. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Welcome to another BitFix.com podcast. My name's Stuart Wright, and today's guest is all the way from Switzerland. Welcome to the show, Christian Johannes Koch. Hello. Thank you for inviting me. So give the, give the audience some context. Christian and I first met in 2016 at the Sources 2 script development program in the wilds of Tromsø, Norway, where it was it never went dark, did it? Exactly. It was. I think it was in June. Um... Or, mm. Right, yeah, and yeah. Um, we were just starting our for. Well, I was starting the script, um, presenting now the movie of it. Give us what's the title of the movie? It's called in German Spagat. Well, um, it's pronounced in the same way in a lot of other languages, but not in English. But it means, um, if I'm if I'm right, it means something like the splits or splits. And how? And and, and for those listening in 2025, when COVID's all gone. How was, um, and talking in the present, how was having a world premiere during a global pandemic? It was very special, but also very nice. Um, well, we premiered in the new director section in San Sebastian, and um, under all the circumstances, um, it, was, it was a pleasure to be there and to show the movie in front of the public. And it, uh, the theatres were full of people with all the restrictions we had with kind of Every second, mm. second seat was only, um, well, open for public. And I had the impression that a lot of people are quite hungry to go to cinema and to see a movie and go together and to talk about it. And this was a nice experience. It was quite interesting because I finished the movie exactly the day when Switzerland decided to, to do a lockdown. This was the last day we, well, this was the TCP play out moment, more or less. And... I was oh, really? I was quite of okay now it's now it's over this movie nobody will see it anymore <laughs> and so we didn't show it to to people because um, well we we showed it to to almost nobody and then 
we were invited to San Sebastian and I was kind of nervous because I realized, okay, nobody has seen this movie. It's the first time, not only, <laughs> well, maybe a couple of people saw the movie before. And this was very exciting. Yeah. So let's let people, if you can, can you do like a brief synopsis to what Spragat's all about? Oh, well, it's very complicated. And honestly, I'm very bad in pitching. And over the whole process of making this movie, I refused in a way to pitch the movie. But yes, I, I can try. Um, well, it's a multi-layered story um, and it's um, centered um, around a high, high school teacher called Marina living um, in the countryside of Switzerland. And she has a secret affair with Artyom, and Artyom is a so-called sans-papier in Switzerland, means he's living in Switzerland without valid resident um, papers. And Artyom has a daughter, Uliana, and Uliana is going to school to Marina. So as you see already um, in this introduction, mm. there are a lot of uh, relationships. And at the end, it's a movie about relationships, because... Um, there is a very small detail, or for mm. almost everyone, just a small, a small incident who is happening, and this makes. Okay, maybe I have to start again. It's re really complicated. No, no, it's, that's no, no, it's no, no, really no, complicated. No, no, you, you were fine, <laughs> Christian. You were fine. No, no, and I think what you you're trying not to spoil it, and that's good. Now, that I'll, I'll, I'll just, I'll sort of round that off. What you mean by there's a tiny incidental crime, for want of a for want of a better word, but crime's too big for what actually happens. But because of who does the crime, it has consequences way in excess of the crime itself. The crime doesn't really get anywhere because it gets resolved to the point, but already the, the 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 wheels are in motion on what is going wrong in everybody's lives. So the secret affair, the secret person living in Switzerland is all exposed over the journey of this one nothing event, which happens at every high school every day all over the world. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Well, it's like a domino. I don't know if you, if you use this word in English, but it's like a domino effect at the end. There's a small, yeah, there's yeah, a yeah. small thing um, starting. There is this, where there's, there's this very nice video installation from Fishley Wise uh, um, years ago. Maybe you know it. Um, the Lauf der Dinge in German. No, go on. Where there's one small thing starting and, um, this is kind of an artwork. It's it's lasting, at, mm. I think, 20 minutes. Um, there's a chain. And it's like, well, every movie is almost like this. I was going to say, I mean, I, I recently <laughs> I recently rewatched No Country for Old Men. And that whole story, as far as Josh Brolin being in trouble, hangs on the fact that he goes back to the murder site. If he never goes back to that murder site, he's got away with $2 million. But because he doesn't want to let a man die, he has to go back and give him water. But by going back, he puts himself in the frame, which means the cartel, the police are all after him. Had he not gone back, nobody's ever chasing him. So it's like... Well, and this is a very interesting question, I think, regarding life in general, because um, hmm. this Enspagat is maybe also about this question about uh, about how how do we live together at the end and what 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 do we do? in our lives and how how do we decide in lives and at the end also maybe 
for me, for myself, it was quite important that to focus on this question always. How well, what, how do you decide if you have to choose between this, between this question of law or what do you feel? Or what do you? We'll get onto that. We'll get onto that. I've got that. I've got. I've got things to ask you about that later on. But let's okay. let's start at the beginning. <laughs> um, obviously, obviously, in terms of a film, a film is written first before it's before it's made. It is. And you, you, you've got a. There's a second writer here. Is that Jose Sesink? Is that how I say it? Jose Sesink, exactly. The pair of you wrote this movie, or did 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 one of you write it and another one then develop it, or vice versa? Or did you write it together? as a you the director with the writer we didn't know each other when we started um working together and i just came up with a, with an expose of five pages and mm. this was a, a first draft of an expose and then then we started working it was very interesting for me because i'm used to work very very fast let's say like this um, mm-hmm. okay now now we work and then we write and you also had had completely another way of working. We just started to talk and we met mm-hmm. every day in his apartment. Um, it was a gray winter in Berlin and we talked and he made notes. And this was quite quite special for me because I was not writing anything. And I realized that, okay, thinking before writing is quite an interesting process. And And... It's the percul it's the percolation, isn't it, in your mind? Exactly. Because if you spend a day talking about a story and then come back the following day, you're loaded up with what you've said, and there's new things, and then hopefully connections get made with the new things, or old things get lost because the new things are better. It's either or. <laughs> exactly. And we had really also a long well, we had the possibility to work quite long on just this treatment process. So it was, I think, three months. We met. Wow. We met not every day, but we we met quite a lot, just talking and taking notes. And mm. for myself, it was very interesting. Before I worked a lot, that I had kind of a concept in mind. Mm. I wanted, and it was often quite theoretically also, and also my approach to making a movie was, in a way, first very theori- theoretically. And this experience with Yosa. I learned really that okay, I'm starting to to develop my story from from the point of view of the characters. First, I got to learn my characters f- by heart, and then mm. the story the story will will be there. And this was a very interesting process. And as I said, three months of discussing and working, and then the treatment writing down the treatment was quite easy. So thinking about that five pages you wrote that led led to then instead of a script being written, you and you and you and the writer then having these conversations. How far have you deviated from that original five pages in terms of what we get to see now as the film? Honestly, it's very close. <laughs> Seriously? <laughs> yes. <laughs> well, well, not in terms of not in terms of plot. Not in terms of plot because the plot changed a lot, but in terms of yeah. the char- t- characters and in terms of the mm. mood and of the main topic of the movie, it's it's almost the same. I just read it um, three days ago, so I was very surprised. <laughs> That's like, no, it's good because I think I think that what I mean, I like you. I've 
I've kind of begun began to learn the power of getting to know your characters better than getting to know your story. Because if you know your characters, you can literally put them anywhere. Then, if you know where, if you know who they are, you can say, well, what would this character do if they're on a spaceship? If they're driving a tractor? If they're buying a jumper? Suddenly, you you can you can say, well, they do this. This is what they do. This is this is who, like as much as you could say, this is what I would do. Yeah, it's almost like having like inventing a relative or a best friend or somebody you hate. Yeah, exactly. And for me, it was also interesting because, well, I'm, I have a visual background, let's say like this. Uh, I studied photography and I think first I was always thinking about pictures and I have had to mm. learn that, okay, writing a movie is not thinking about pictures. It's for, for myself. It's not, it's something about thinking about my characters and especially loving each character or get to love each character during this process. And, mm. and this was one of, yeah, it was kind of a huge, I, well, I realized something during this process who helped me a lot then in writing the script and working with the actors, mm. et cetera, et cetera. So when you came to writing the script and so therefore, I mean, cause that's where I think it's great that, that you were kind of held off from, from sort of writing the script because I've I've had the opposite, which is I'm the one that's chomping at the bit to try and get final draft open and start making a script. Whereas the director I've been working with, he's the one that makes me talk to him bizarrely. It's like we, <laughs> that that kind of I think it's almost like um what do you call it? It's like for me, I always feel like there's um like a Calvinist work ethic, which is this idea of doing the work, whereas talking doesn't feel like doing work. Whereas actually, what if you can talk about it, you're doing a lot of work. But you're not feeling it doesn't feel like work because you're you're just discussing, but yeah. obviously discussing with two people is the same thing you'd have to do in your head if you were sat at the computer typing. And it's much easier for two people to go, Well, why would they do that? On your own, you go bloody mad doing that. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And it well, we did really spend a lot, a lot of time in discussing and then writing a plot outline and then writing the script, the first draft. It took me three weeks. Yeah. Or even not three weeks. It took me a month. It took me a month recently yeah. where, where we'd done the talking and you get to the thing and it took me a month. You're like, right, okay, now I understand. This is Yeah. This is productive. It's actually productive to not do anything. Yeah. <laughs> well, this is a big question in general on on what what does it mean to work and when do you stop working and when do you start working if you're a filmmaker. So honestly. Maybe I never stop working. I think that I mean it's it's not digging coal. Obviously, we're not we're not. It's not like it's tiring in the sweat toil sense. But you you can't help but react to the world with a view of what's going swimming around your head. Yeah. And if it's just and it could just be slicing a piece of bread and you're gonna go eureka. Exactly. This is this 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 chopping board actually could represent something. You're like, oh right, okay. Yeah, and away and, you go. And this is sometimes very nice, and sometimes it's quite exhausting to work all the time. In a way, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> now, the, uh, is it w w the Artem's experience as the, as the kind of he's not an antagonist, but he's he, he represents an antagonist force through an individual, which is the problem at the heart of the movie. As in his and t thinking of your idea of choices, his choice to come to Switzerland. And live there creates creates the problem for his daughter. Not the his affair with the teacher, his adults being bad adults, and that's just you know that's a kind of 
that's a moral ground that you can either agree or it's not it's not immoral or moral it's just just it's, it's adults choose to do things but at the center of this is this young girl who has made no choices really everything that she's doing has been fo- foisted upon her yeah. and um and in that sense everything everything that gets paid for because of what's been chosen it disproportionately is a disproportionate punishment for her because she's completely unaware that not unaware that's the, that's the wrong that's the wrong word but she's she, she's not played a part in putting herself in a predicament that means she should be punished because on the on the surface you go you go the headmistress is is the kind of hero and villain of the film but as the as you're at the start of the film but then as we begin as we walk into the story I felt like it pivoted towards the young girl, exactly. even though she's not in all the action. Yeah. It's almost like she's a ghost in she's a ghost in all the scenes she's not in, and then she's in a scene, and you're reminded of her innocence in all of it. Um, well, she's ha- a, like like a, like like let's say like a flipper ball in a way. Because, okay, go on. Well, because she's she's a she, she's a child, and she has nothing. Well, just well, justice in this way. There is no justice um, regarding where where you are born or um, which are your parents. Mm. So, and she couldn't choose anything. And well, what was your question? Would you like to know a little bit more how how this how I came up with this idea or um, what was my point? Well, yeah, how- yeah, thinking. Yeah, I was, I was going to say, but that that idea of the film. The film feels like it's one thing because it's all about the headmistress, but then slowly, as the headmistress's world secret life opens up into actually disaffecting this one girl's life, and then does the classic thing of tries to fix the problem, but only makes matters worse. Um, that might be just be an observation, Christian. I think, um, and hopefully not too spoilery. Um, is what I guess the bottom is 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 Artem's experience in Switzerland atypical? Was that is that the front of your mind? There are people living and working in Switzerland who are doing a fine job and contributing, but actually, if authorities come along, their whole situation is under is under jeopardy. Well, let's say like this: I was I was living abroad for for a long time, and um, every time I came back to Switzerland, I was surprised how. How on the surface every everything seems to be fine, and mm. and I had to, during my studies at film school I was working in Switzerland um, on construction fields, and I was I I think it's a very interesting area construction fields because you have a lot of different people meeting, um, not only not only migrant, um, immigrants only also Swiss people but everybody is, is meeting there and, and it's quite a, a bubble let's say in Switzerland this this world and I was living for a couple of weeks always each year inside this bubble and and I had the impression okay I want to do something about this social injustice existing in Switzerland and even existing quite a lot, but it's not visible. And mm. and of course, um, as in every country, you have a lot of people without without a resident permit working in Switzerland and completely working for the whole society. And mm. and this I found interesting. And then there is one one interesting point in Switzerland that children without resident papers have to go to school. 
by law, but by law, they're not allowed to be here. And this was for, for me kind of, okay, this, it was, a, I couldn't, I couldn't explain myself. Okay. How this is possible that the country decides. That, sound, that sounds, that sounds insane. Yeah. This is, well, there, there are different laws working, working against each other. Let's say like this, there is the, the, a human right to get educated. Um, and there is the, there is the law from Switzerland that you, you're not allowed to be here. And this I found very interesting. And so I started to make research around this. Would, would, is it, is, from, a, from a moral rather than legal point of view, if, if you were talking to your average, your average Swiss, Swiss Joe or Joanna, what's worse, the affair between a married woman, the married woman having an affair, or the head teacher have hiding a de- uh, an illegal an illegal immigrant, as it were, which would be seen as worse. I can't say that because I'm not judging at all. For myself, there's well, there's no there's for myself there's no problem in having an affair. It's more the problem how you deal with with that. At the same time, it's it's not for myself. There's no problem to hiding some someone and to help someone but well, in, in, uh, sorry i don't i don't mean for you to judge it like for you to say no i think having an affair is right or wrong or i'm just saying but thinking generally if you would if i was to pick up a tabloid newspaper in switzerland tomorrow is it going to be more shocked about headmaster headmasters having affairs and breaking families up or headmasters harboring illegal immigrants and trying to keep them in switzerland well the second one i think Hiding someone, yeah. this is something nobody's talking about it. But well, you can't live in a society without help. So, um, of course, you you need you need people who help you through the day. And well, the, my question is more how how it's possible that we have that we had have a system where you're allowed to be here or you're not allowed to be here because we all we are creating the system. Nobody else. So we have mm. we have standards, and we established the standards in Switzerland, especially because we have we have the right to vote always, all the time, on everything. So the whole law at the end is made by us. Yeah, there's a, there's a happy accident, isn't there, of birth that I've got because I'm in the UK that somebody coming to the UK who could offer some skills or just wants a better life for themselves is frowned upon by a certain part of the com- country is legally prohibited because the law says if you don't have this paper or that paper or your your passport isn't got that many months left to run then you can't be here but yet you can earn money and pay taxes yeah so you can pay into a system that says you can't legally be here yeah and like you like, i don't know it's the same in britain but certainly that example of the child as a human right to an education. So even though the child has no legal right to be here, it's illegal to not send them to school. Exactly. Well, and at the end, I don't have an answer on all these questions because I think they are so huge, mm. but I think it's important to discuss. To discuss. No, I think that, I was going to say, I think that's, it's probably important saying, because obviously, I've, I've, obviously you've, you've made the film, but having seen the film, the film isn't trying to answer these problems at all. You throw up all the questions and all the doubt and all the absurdity that these issues raise through what is 
the story of someone who's doing well for herself. She's doing everything right. The, the, the Eliana is is putting in. She's got extra cricket activities. She's she's a positive kid and everything. And then every and then through no fault of her own and the absurdity of the way the law works in relation to her dad's right to be in Switzerland, her life is also thrown on its head as well. Of course, we are all depend in a way on on our parents. And and I thought it was and I thought it was on the flip side of that. You've got Mariana, the headmistress's life, which is this, which is she's got a kid relatively the same age as, as Juliana, and what you also see there is the privilege of born with different rights. In you know, obviously being born in Switzerland gives you a lot of rights, and you can tell that she. And it's not a crime. She takes for granted because why wouldn't you? It's what you're born to. Absolutely. Um, she, no, there's no, and you can see that her going out, smoking fags and having a drink is neither here nor there because that's called coming of age. <laughs> yeah. And this similarity, well, or this, well, two things happening at the same time, but um, this like, like reality, two different realities happening at the same time, all the time. This is, Mm. I think, well, this is happening everywhere on the world. This is like our destiny as human beings mm. in 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 our world. But at the same time, it's also interesting because it maybe maybe cinema or, or film is the only the only way of communication who can can express this in a in a in an interesting way. Yeah, you. It reminded me of um, oh goodness. Um, Rust and Bone, you know the um, the the Belgian French movie. Um, again, it's that idea of legal rights, legal thing, and then how you go about living your life. And all you're wanting to do is make life better for your kid. It's really not about um, wanting to take anything. And let's be honest, the guys working in that quarry at the center of your film are not doing a fun job. Well, not, of course not, not on holiday. Of course not. Of course not. You know this but, is this is. But you know, my aim was never to do. A movie about illegal migrants in Switzerland. This movie, mm. I think, this movie is talking much more about us, about the Swiss society, than about the life of an illegal migrant in Switzerland. Mm. Even this is part of the story, but in in a way, it's it's talking much more about how we how we well how we live together and how we how we handle our privileges um, and how we protect also no, our I agree. privileges. I agree. I think I was going to say, I think that's, that's, that's obvious from your, because obviously you, you're, you're Swiss and you can see it from a Swiss point of view. Whereas there's a double, there's a double whammy for me watching it as a Brit is I don't know too much about Switzerland. So to then see ultimately a similar debate that goes on here, you know, in Britain, it was Polish people, Lithuanian people, you know, being plumbers and then not welcome all of a sudden. You know, like the flick of a switch, suddenly no, no, po it became a joke, you know, like a standing joke that was based in xenophobia. Yeah. Aimed at Polish plumbers for a short while, you know, and it's like, where's that come from? And, and then that was, that isn't even in the instance of like where you've got, that was where they had the right to be here. That was, that was just to do with just plain old xenophobia, never mind legal or illegal. Um, but yeah, no, I, I should say it comes across really strongly the, the comments you're making on Swiss society as well as, as well as Artem and his daughter's situation, because that's almost like a catalyst to reflect back on 
how normal it is for Swiss families. While at the same, while at the same time, you're just living your life and la 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 la. There are people moving from flat to flat, secret moving at night, and life life thrown its head. And you don't know about it. It doesn't bother you. Doesn't doesn't worry you. You don't have to think about it. Yeah. Obviously, Marina as a character ends up being the eyes and ears of all Switzerland, as it were, because she gets to see the reality of the minor the minor crime that is the domino effect throughout the movie. Yeah. She follows it for us. Well, and even the if husband she, doesn't care. Yeah, and even if she know she knows the situation her lover is living with his daughter. But well, she knows it, but she can't. Well, she can't identify in a way. And as you mentioned before, I think, okay, it's based in Switzerland. It's um, talking about um, also Swiss society. But I think the story at the end is quite universal because it can happen mm. everywhere. There was, a, there was a film a while ago, a British film called Dirty Pretty Things, which was about that whole nighttime economy yeah. in Britain. And you had like, um, you know, a Nigerian doctor who's having to drive a cab because that's the only job he can get, even though yeah. he's qualified as a doctor. Yeah. You know, it's like it's... Um, well, because our life is so, quite... Uh, is, our life is just quite um, paper-orientated. This is... Um, yeah, and if, and if I'm... If, if, and if you think about... If you flip it around like you're doing with this idea of what does, how do Swiss people see it, if they see it at all, is that all, all we are bothered about as people that have got solid rights to be in a country is... Did the taxi turn up on time? It did. I don't care where the driver's from. Isn't the comp that doesn't enter your head? Or did the building get built? Did the quarry get blown up and exactly. gravel exactly. supplied to whatever? We're not worrying about who that does. You get there's an economy that exists that relies on the likes of Artem to come to Switzerland for six years, isn't it? In the story, it's like he's been there six years. So by norm, by any by any kind of normal rights, he would consider he could consider himself a local. You, know, you live anywhere for six years in the 21st century. You, you've kind of put roots down, haven't you? Most you know people are moving much quicker than every six years. Um, thinking of the practicalities of your film, obviously you've got a central, st- you've got a star in a film who's a gymnast, which is beyond the uh, beyond the usual call of what an actor needs to do. How did you cast the role of Uliana? How did how did you go about that process? Oh, this was quite difficult because. Um, well, for everybody who doesn't know Swiss German, um, this is a language not a lot of people are speaking. And I decided I want to mm. do it in Swiss German. There were other possibilities like in French, but I decided, no, this is really, it's 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 centered in the heart of Switzerland, so it has to be Swiss German. And, well, mm-hmm. I had to look for a girl in the, uh, between 10 and 14 years old, um, able to be, well, to be a good actress, first of all then a good mm. gymnast, then speaking Swiss German and speaking Russian. And very quick, I realized um, after the first two uh, casting rounds, okay, we don't have a lot of Russian-speaking girls who are also good gymnasts and, and then are also good actresses. And so we decided... To f- I, don't think, I, don't think, I don't think many countries do, if I'm honest with you. <laughs> <laughs> well, at at least the Russian and the gymnastic part you have maybe in Russia or in, in other Russian-speaking mm-hmm. countries a little bit more. Well, then we decided, okay, we open it up to different languages. We had, um, yeah, to have just a little bit um, 
a wider a wider area we can we can look for it and we did a lot of castings we cast around 400 girls over one and a half year wow Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. And then I met Marsha. But honestly, it was not the first time I met her. Well, the girl who's playing Oliana in the movie now. Because I met her already in the first casting round. But she was just too no way. She was just too young. She was that at the time she was eleven and very, very shy. And yeah, I just I didn't realized that she was there in the first casting round. And so one and a half year after, I met her again. And then it was clear, okay, we go with you. But I also I also knew quite quick that we had to have to do a lot of work on, a, on the acting level because she never played something. And, mm. and for myself, it's something too, very important if you work with, with young adults or, or children that you... Well, you, that you do really a, a training process with them, not in the way that you mm. rehearse the scene a hundred times. No, not at all. But because she had to transform completely another character, she's absolutely not the character you see in the movie in the everyday life. Okay, absolutely not. And this was an interest, uh, interesting work. Then we did over a month. Well, I suppose I suppose every director's got that responsibility, haven't they, when they work with uh, young adults and certainly children and you know when under 18 is that you've got to build trust in them that they're good enough to do what they're doing not 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 do what you say but it's like a kind of it's almost like a conduit isn't it where you're you're trying to go i believe in you do what i believe in but don't don't do what i say kind of thing yeah. it's like you still want a performance that has a natural a naturalistic element to it don't you you don't want it to be like left foot right foot left arm right arm turn head you know, just just following block, you know, where the block it is. You want someone who can come alive as the character of Ileana, don't you? Yeah, but usually you're just cast. Well, in my experience, usually you cast um, children who are quite close to the the character they play. But um, with, with Marsha, we had just a situation that she lives completely another life, and she had before that no connection, not at all to this reality of, of Oliana. So we had to mm. build this up and and we did this with a lot of, of um, well, we created kind of a toolbox for her in a way, mm. a toolbox to get in touch with emotions. And and we, we talked a lot in a way about um, um, Ukraine and about the city in Ukraine. She was never there, but I think she knows the city now much better than um, maybe people even um, living there. <laughs> <laughs> and what what do you what do you think what when you when you see the film now and think about what was on the page? What do you think she brought to the character that you were that you weren't able to imagine that she brought? And you're like, yeah, that's that's Juliana, you know, turned 
turned right up to full. Well, it was very interesting because she's she changed a lot from the paper to to the result now, or the character changed a lot um, through her because my character was much more. Um, he, it was it was a girl who was very impulsive, and mm. and the, the child we have now is quite is quite calm in a way and. Mm. And maybe a little bit, how you say this, intro, introverted, introverted, exactly. And I realized something that was quite interesting um, working with her. She's coming from gymnastics, and she's coming from from sports, and she she was doing these sports for years, and thought she was very focused. And gave something to the character I didn't imagine. This, this, um, this. How do you say this? This. Well, this, well, sports people are known for being single-minded because they their pursuit is of excellence. So they they have to do. They're always about the one percent improvement. And if you can improve the left ankle one percent, the yeah. knee one percent, the hip one percent, you've gained three percent. But you but you can't just do all three percent in one point, and then that that pursuit of excellence is gives you a character who can be focused on your pursuit of excellence, which is the character. So I guess if you if you bring that mindset from sport into acting, then it's a, it's a good they're good attributes, aren't they? Yeah, but it was not only on on the acting level; it was only it was also on the level how she he she created her her character because I I think this focus was always on being and staying in Switzerland. And I think you feel okay. this, you feel this, but it, I, I knew that it, it's coming from her sports side. So maybe, maybe this might make sense. Um, mm. And yeah. I, I, the, the, the um, Marina and her family life is obviously a very, a very opposite view, a very opposite vision of what family life can be like, which is, it's very, it's very, um, it's very assured. It's very. It's. It's not going to be disrupted. It's, but but in the same sense, the um, against that backdrop, you have you you give us a husband who, who appears to be just coasting, emotionally and and, and all kind. You know, and and it, he he could find out. I, mean, I think I think a bomb could have gone off, and he don't think he'd have he'd have moved because he's so sort of entrenched in his ways of being. It's not It's not like he's against anything, but it was just it was an interesting contrast that you have. He's, he's married to this woman, Marina, who is having a happy life at home that she orchestrates. She's a successful woman in her own right as a career, and she's having an affair with this man that she clearly loves. And yet the husband she's married to couldn't be any more opposite. Um, it's a really interesting concoction you've got there. Well, honestly, it's 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 very interesting because people are reacting quite um, diverse to Jörg, the husband. So everybody sees a little bit yeah. something different in in this in this character. For myself, I had just one plan. I wanted to change gender roles, the stereotypic gender roles, in a way that well, usually I think you would have a man having a family and having an affair and. The woman would just, mm. well, let's say in the movies from the 50s or the 60s, would it be like this? And 
And I wanted to change this. So Jörg is now really the husband at home. And yeah. And so he's, you're saying he's like the put, the, the, the old fashioned view would be the put upon wife who just puts up with everything. In a way, he's yes. He's the put upon husband. Yeah. In a way. Okay. Okay. That makes sense. Now. In a way, yeah. yes. And also, I think he's, try, he's, he's, he's very insecure in a way. And so his, this family is everything. And, the, and mm. he's trying to hold his family together. And yeah, I found it interesting to give this, this, to characterize this man with with this, who's usually something you would more be linked to a woman, and and well, think, thinking of that, then you 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 being obviously you being a being a being a being a fella, sort of then developing a character like Marina. How did you find that sort of growing a character, a, fem- a, a strong female character like that? How did you find how did you find that process? And and again, thinking of what Rachel playing the role. What did she bring to Marina that you couldn't have imagined on the page, which sort of took it into the took it took took it further along for you? This was this is a question I'm 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 asked quite often, and I'm a little bit surprised because I think I think well I'm surrounded by women, and I was raised by women, so of course I have a connection mm. to women. Even I'm not I'm not a woman, um, but what what. I'm working like this, and after a certain point, my script is open, and I'm looking for a lot of advices. And mm-hmm. and Rachel brought a lot of things into the script from from herself, and this is also thing mm-hmm. maybe a point every actor has to know if he's working with me. He can't he can't be just an actor. He has to play a little bit also <laughs> really himself or herself, and this is maybe not for everybody the right thing, but um, she brought a lot of things in. Maybe it's also, I have to say that first I did cast some, someone else for this um, teacher. Marina was another actress, and then I met Rachel and was clear, okay, I have to change everything. Yeah. And and then we started really a long conversation around Marina and yeah, being also because the the character and Rachel there are almost in the same age, so she could put a lot of of experiences from herself inside the role. The kind of active character that she is, I I, I really enjoyed how she set the the dominoes going, and then runs around, not literally, but in terms of her actions, runs around trying to fix everything, almost like trying to put fires out. And the more she runs, the more she causes. It's like it's, if she'd have done nothing, nothing would, nothing have, would happened. have happened. Yeah. I mean, obviously apart from whether her husband would have stayed with her or not is, is the only debate you could have had. But instead, and I guess that comes from the idea of a teacher is a very kind of, as, as a profession, is someone who is in control. You control groups of children and stuff. That's kind of your your responsibility. People look to you to offer them guidance and leadership. So her her instincts as a character, which is really fulfilled on the in the film, is that she takes that everywhere she goes. He's like, no, no, I can help. No, listen to me. Do this, do that. And and it does and it run it even run but it, but eventually, obviously, because she can't she can't hold the world in her arms, it does run away from her. And then life begins to go beyond what Marina can or can't influence. Yeah. 
And the interesting thing also was in the developing process of the script and then in the financing process especially, that mm. a lot of people mentioned that they don't like Marina. And this, this mm. movie could not be um, made because you have a central character who's really not, not um, nice, let's say, like this. And I was always surprised because, well, I'm not doing a, a movie about a nice person. I'm doing a movie about a person like we are, everybody more than less, that we have different needs and desires. And um, she has maybe this side, you're more with her, but she has also this side. Maybe you don't like this side of her, but all right. But I realized that a lot of people think that women characters have to be nice. And honestly, I think it's completely bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I agree. I've, I've, I've had similar, I've had similar, I've had similar feedback on stuff before. It's really, it's an interesting blind spot that men and women have got. I don't think it's exclusively like men just go, I can't like female characters that are complex and new ones. It's, it seems to be everybody because we're so schooled in what, what, what gender does what on screen. The minute we read something that doesn't feel the same, um, it sort of feels we're already in conflict. Um, in terms of the look and feel of your film, Christian. What was your conversation like with uh, Timon? Is it Shappy? Shappy, yes. Um, your Shappy, your uh, cinematographer. What was what? What conversation did you have there? Because obviously you've shot this in Switzerland, so it's a place you know. Um, but what we what were the pair of you concocting to give us on the screen? What were you come? What were your references? What were you trying to encourage him to do in that sense? Well, this was very interesting because Timon and I, we met at um, film school in Germany. So for both of us, it was the first film in Switzerland. Even we are both Swiss. And we met, well, we met years ago, but we didn't work together during the whole studies. Um, we didn't work together. And, and then, well, I decided, okay, now I will do this move in Switzerland. And I called Timon and asked him if he would he would do the DOP and it. And it was a very interesting process because we both had to, had to learn from, from another side to, to look at this country. And we were used to, to work in, Swiss, in Germany and now we were in Switzerland and it's, it's different to work here. Also the, the whole movie business is functioning in another way. So this was first of all, very interesting um, beside of the process then, and then we started, um, well, we decided that, okay, we will kind of do shot lists of each scene and without a lot of references. The only thing we asked in every picture and in every scene was which one is the perspective. The whole camera work is, is in this movie, from my point of view, is about perspectives. In every, yeah, I think in every single scene. And references, I had I had some general references. Well, I think Bergman is quite, uh, was an inspiration for all my work. So he was also here, um, but not mm. not a single movie. Then, then we had, yeah, I, this was, it was, it was a, well, it was a visual discussion because I started to make um, mood boards, a lot of mood boards, but from photography. But it was never really a discussion about other movies. What did you learn about Switzerland then, to look at Switzerland as a filmmaker, not as a resident? 
You mean now on the country or on the film scene? <laughs> on the, as, no, 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 not not in a, not in any political sense, but as a as as a as a visual artist making films. Oh, it's where you yeah. you, you to, to 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 turn around and now and sort of look at the country you've grown up in and go right. What does this look like as a film? What have what what have you seen in Switzerland that you wouldn't have seen before making this movie? <laughs> Well, what I realized, first of all, was that it's really complicated to make a picture in Switzerland because everything is finished. It's done. So you don't, well, we made always a joke. Well, in Germany, if you want to film a house on the street, then you have just a street and you have a house. And in Switzerland, if you film a house in the street, you have the house, the street, and then you have there a little thing and there a little thing. And this one is green and this one is red and this one is yellow. And then you have... Well, it's just, it's chaotic in a way, but it's also finished in a way. And this is also, this was at the beginning, and I think also this lead, this was one of the decisions I made after this experience that I decided, okay, you see Switzerland only, really the Swiss picture you're used with, you see only at the beginning in the first shot. And then you don't see it anymore. Mm. And most of the film is, is, is focused on environments in terms of rooms and and faces. It's quite an intimate claustrophobic film, peppered with sort of like like the you know the the, the scene say for example when we go to the quarry. Yeah, we we realize we, we it's that's the first time I realized. Jesus, I've spent a lot of time indoors here. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Sir. You know, because suddenly I felt like I felt like it ex- it expanded again. You know, you let you 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 let me breathe for a second. Yes, and I I don't want to say that this was just um, a decision because I didn't know how to film Switzerland, but I think I was thinking about okay, how I show Switzerland, and I realized that I don't want to show. Mm. I, sh- I want to show the people in Switzerland and not. Not just the country. No, I get what you're saying. You don't want to make a tourist video. You were, of course, you were, you, you. The film you're making is about people in Switzerland, not about what Switzerland looks like. But I just think it's interesting, just to sort of. I was interviewing an English filmmaker yesterday for a film called "Say Say Your Prayers," and he shot it in a small English village, very sort of you know post in, uh, pre-industrial revolution in a post-industrial Britain. You know, it's like yeah. it's. It's old world, but it's in a modern world. Um, and it's very easy to see that as an English person and go, well, that's what England looks like. But it's different to try and see that and make it, frame it, to look at it from a film's point of view because you put people in it and you're trying to do something with the people you put on screen, not go, oh, look, there's a ye olde sweet shop. Oh, look, there's a there's a Ford Mondeo or whatever, you know, like as if that's, there's a normal English street. It doesn't matter. It's like it's... It's using the, in your instance, using Switzerland as a background for what you want your story to do and not worry about how much of Switzerland you show. Absolutely, absolutely. And I think in general, it's very interesting to think as a filmmaker about um, how does the environment reflect on your story and your characters and, well, what do you choose at the end to show and not to show, especially in countries, well, like you mentioned, this area in, in Britain, but also like Switzerland, where a lot of people have very, very made pictures of how Switzerland looks like. And I wanted yeah, I, wa- yeah, yeah. I wanted to play with that in one picture at the beginning, but then you don't see it anymore. And I think a lot of people are forgetting a little bit, is it now Switzerland or is it 
not Switzerland, because yeah, you yeah, have yeah. never. Dis- there's not been. Any, there's no. There's no cuckoo clocks. It can't be Switzerland. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <laughs> where's Where's the fondue? What's going on? In t- so we, we've talked about developing it. We've talked about the characters. We've talked about what you were trying to get to the look and feel of it. So when you've when you've shot this movie and you went into the edit, what did you discover about the story that wasn't there on the page and during the shoot that sort of you you felt you could manipulate and engineer through the edit? May I say something before? Because there's one yeah, sure. because there's one point we didn't discuss because you can't understand it. Only people who speak Swiss German can understand it. But what we did was a huge work on the spoken words and the dialect. Um, okay. Because we have a problem in um, when, well, you have a problem when you're working on Swiss German. This is not a written language. And so we, we write our script in German. And then we have, usually there is a dialogue uh, writer who takes the dialogues and writes them in Swiss German. And I always thought, come on, guys, it's, this sounds not nice. It sounds not real. This is really not how people are speaking. And so what we did was we had two months. We met and we adapted each sentence to the character, to each character, exactly in the way they would speak and I learned also a little bit to adapt their dialect so it was really a huge work but of course everybody outside from Switzerland or from Swiss from knowing Swiss German can't realize that but it was just important to mention it no it's important to mention it. and now you've I've got to ask you a follow-up question now then so if that's not a written you said it's not a written language yeah so when you so when you're at school what do you study well German well, at uh, in the, f- the first two or three years, you're speaking in Swiss German mostly of the time, but then yeah, you're, you're speaking German. It's a dialect. It's not a language. It's it's really it's a dialect, but a oh, very okay, heavy okay. dialect compared to to German dialects. Yeah. So it's like French Canadian and French. It's like it's no, it's, no. It sounds a lot. No, it's more. It's far away. I think. Oh right. Okay. Yeah. So there wasn't so in sense that that work that you were doing, changing the German script to Swiss German colloquial, was actually a huge shift in the words on the page. Yes, yes. But the only thing I didn't do was I, I didn't translate it in a written form because I realized it makes no sense, and so we did it only in an oral way, in exchange with all the actors. And this was this was mm. very interesting. Yeah. No, that's 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 an immensely complex thing to have to comprehend in what is already a kind of complex thing, which is the the ebb and flow of emotions. You're trying to you're trying to concoct that on the page, and then somebody says, "Right now, what I want you to do is uh, <laughs> is this very is this almost like technical language thing to make it fit Switzerland?" And you're like, "Fuck it out." Yeah. And to your other question. Um, what was this exactly? I don't remember. So what what did you what what did the story reveal to you in the edit that wasn't wasn't obvious when you were writing and shooting it? So how did you how did you have to engine? How much did you engineer with the story with what you'd shot and what you thought was possible that wasn't possible beforehand? Well, maybe you have to know that when I start shooting, I'm completely forgetting the script. This is not so easy for the okay. whole crew 
but um, for myself, it's very nice <laughs> because um, I'm adapting the story during shooting. And um, okay. I'm also, so what does that, what does that what does that mean when when you say forget the script? What does that mean? Well, we have so we get, have the get, script. What? We have the the schedule of all the scenes we will shoot over the next three months and etc. Okay, okay, so that's but that's normal. That's normal, exactly. But I'm not reading the script anymore, and um, I'm changing during the takes and the sentences, and I'm. I'm writing also other scenes and um, deleting other scenes from the script during shooting. So this is for me, from the first day on, a new process is starting. And this is the process of creating part two. Are you part shooting, two. in that sense then, I was going to say in that sense then, are you shooting linear then? Um, well, I try. Are you shooting from page one to page 90? No, not, not, it's not possible in all the cases, but I try it. So it's maybe half I was gonna, or two-thirds it's 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 shot more than less linear yes yeah. yeah so what you're saying is you you kind of you're comfortable with what you've got and then as you move you feel emotion you can feel instinctively that this scene needs to change or that scene needs to go or that scene needs we need a we need a scene outside with the car because this feels disjointed or whatever yeah you're you're happy to your producer must love you um <laughs> Yes, most of the time. <laughs> <laughs> no, well, so my, that, my script and well, continuity okay, then, well, loves well, me really. <laughs> I was going to say, yeah. So with that, I mean, with that kind of with that kind of devil, devil, devil play going on during the process of production, where everyone goes right, we've got a script, we've got it, we've got all the call sheets for the complete three month schedule. What's Christian doing again? Okay. So then when the editor gets it, what's the editor's reference point then? And what are you, what's your conversation with the editor? And what are you finding about the story then Well, that, that enhances what you were already doing, I suppose, then? Well, my editor was, he started editing uh, on more or less the time we started shooting. And this was quite interesting because we didn't have any exchange during this time. I We, we had, oh, really? we had the agreement then, when he feels something who has to be changed or really he, he has a big inspiration, then he has to call me. And if this is not happening, if he's really happy with what he's receiving, then he don't call me. He was in Berlin. I was. So, you, so, you, so your, expectation, your expectation was scene one goes to scene two, goes to scene three, goes to four, five, six, and so on. Well, this was... Unless he, unless he says to you, it's not... Scene seven doesn't land after scene six um, or whatever. This was just, well, the first plan was make an assembly edit with all the, the scenes from one to hundred and I don't know what. There were quite a lot of scenes because the assembly was around four hours. And mm -hmm. wow. And well, it was, it's my first feature. So I, I was quite shocked after seeing this first edit. <laughs> and then. This is also maybe. Was it? Can I just can I ask you a question at that point then? Yeah, they, please. They, I've heard it said from like from the old hacks in Hollywood, they, they've 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 caught, they've used the horrible term. It's the suicide cut because it's like the directors look at it and go, "Oh my god, there's not a film. What are we gonna do?" Did you get that feeling? Yeah, in a way, in a way. Well, no, but let's say like this: the first assembly edit, I was not so shocked because I thought, okay, yeah, well, it's. Yeah, it's just like this. But then I think this period just when I'm entering in the edit, editing room for the first days, it's quite 
it's quite quite tough because mm. you get to know your material in the other way and you have to decide okay i kill all my darlings just for the story and uh, this was tough this was tough and also to realize that what was written on paper um regarding this multi-layered story was easy mm -hmm. to have on paper um people followed this um switch from one from one scene and one universe to the other but when you look at it sometimes it didn't work at all because yeah the time was not enough to get attached to the character and so this was no, very totally. difficult and to to yeah to handle but so we started editing and then um, i decided okay let's do a break and i was very lucky because my um, my editor became father from this, for the second time. So we had a seven-week break, and this was genius. <laughs> and after that, it was everything was clear how we will do it, yeah. <laughs> so, so as a final question then, um, thinking of it being your first feature film, and Christian, who went, who went into the shoot knowing everything Christian knows, and Christian sat here now talking to me, knowing a lot more than what he knew then. What, say, two lessons learned from, from what you thought you knew and what you do know could you pass on to a listener who's maybe on the brink of shooting their first film? Okay, lesson one I learned, and I think I will do it from now on for always, is work with your actors in the script on the basis of the script already and let them give all your inspiration um, and let them be part as a writer in a way, even if they're not writer. So, but mm -hmm. this is understandable, but this is for me very important. Yeah, 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 yeah. Because they have... So you, you're kind of saying, listen, you're kind of saying, listen and listen to them and trust them. Yeah. Yeah. And second lesson I learned, um, mix professional actors, non-professional actors, superstars, and children because sometimes it's magical what they do together um yeah i had this experience now well look congratulations on the film i'm very chuffed to have got to see it having be, having been have been witness to it at such an early stage it's nice to be uh putting a full stop on it from my my understanding of the journey but obviously you've got the release of it to come in 2021 so britflix wishes you best of luck Thank you. Thank you a lot for having me on your
BetMGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Maryland. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code OLDLINE150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Maryland today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Maryland only. New customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days from issuance. Please play responsibly. For help, visit mdgamblinghelp.org or call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM National Harbor. Promotional not available in Washington, D.C. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.